You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw to a looking. Flips it downfield wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Doing knew where he was going right away. How the hell is that, though, man? What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we're going to take a look at week number 14 that kicks off tonight. Can you believe that? We're already just five weeks left in the NFL season. Well, for some teams, not for us. My goodness. We'll pick all the games, but first, the Austin Jackson extension is official. We'll go in-depth on his breakout season, hear from the head coach on what makes Austin the perfect right tackle for this football team. Plus, I'll give you a little bit of an off-season primer and looking at some of the potential contracts coming up for this Miami Dolphins team. We'll also hear from ESPN's Teron Davenport to talk some Titans and, of course, more commentary from Mike McDaniel from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. News to start the show. Austin Jackson, brand new contract. The reported figures are three for 36. Of course, that can always be give or take on either side of the deal, which if you're keeping track at home is less than the 2024 cost of what Austin Jackson's fifth year option would have been at 14.2 million. So your APY is lower on the extension. Chris Greer, you've done it once again. You locked down one of the most critical positions and you did it for way lower than what market value dictates. Because if you take all tackles into account, and I was looking at this thinking like, well, yeah, but right tackle money is less than left tackle. And it is, but both tackles are pretty much the same in today's NFL, especially, especially when you have a left-handed quarterback, that right tackle, pretty important, right? So he is actually the 30th highest paid APY tackle in the NFL. What? He's 11th among right tackles. You know, I mentioned this as a possibility somewhere back along the line that you might get an Austin Jackson, Devontae Parker level hometown discount after what was a tough start to the career and then a promising breakout season. Only it happened, but I can tell you from a sustainability standpoint I think Austin's is sustainable because of the way he studies, the way he understands the game. I had a podcast with him this summer where he talked about how he woke up every single day this offseason and plugged on tape. And he said the mental, the mind was the most important. And next is the physical. He said he would stretch and do cardio and try to improve his flexibility. And that shows up. And of course, his mindset pops off the tape every single week with some bully ball, man. Night and day difference there between the guy I mentioned with the hometown discount contract extension. I think this guy's a lot more sustainable in that regard. And if he hit the open market, I think it would have been a lot more expensive for somebody else to bring this guy in. The 18th pick in the draft in 2020, the fifth offensive tackle off the board that year gives Chris Greer and this front office yet another feather in the cap from the exercise we did back during the bye week or was it in the off season I can't remember 
But I went through every team and determined draft hits and misses based on second contracts, Pro Bowls, various accolades that determined hits and misses. And Miami, since Chris Greer took over in 2016, was third in that exercise. And of course, you know, the ultimate rebuild that it went, underwent in 2019, post that, the Dolphins have the third most wins in the National Football League. So, you know, like every way you slice this, this GM is one of the top five executives in the NFL, him and his staff putting together a roster. And they've shown you that with right now, what me looks like the best roster in the AFC and the prohibitive favorite in the conference to, to advance to the big game in February. So fun stuff. Um, you know what? It, it was coming into the year because I remember Austin being in my we don't know yet category, TBD category. And there's no way I would have had him there at the bye week because he's been shut down all year long. In fact, let's go ahead and look at some of the guys he's faced this year. Week one, Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa both took shots at him off the right side of the offensive line, combined 34 pass block snaps against those two guys, two pressures allowed. By the way, Khalil Mack has 15 and a half sacks this year. Week two, Matt Judon for 15 pass blocking snaps. I think he got hurt in that game. Zero pressures allowed. Week three, no pressures against Randy Gregory or Nick Batonio. Uh, week four, Leonard Floyd did get him for two pressures on 28 pass rush snaps. Week five, Kayvon Thibodeau blanked. Week six, uh, Brian Burns got one pressure on him on 21 pass rush snaps. Hassan Reddick in week seven. These are like the top of the top of the food chain of pass rushers besides Parsons and Garrett. Burn, uh, Reddick got two on him on 27 pass rush attempts. Week eight, no pressures from the Patriots, but no Matt Judon, clean sheet. Uh, week nine, George Karloftis got him for two pressures on 27 dropbacks. Week 11, Max Crosby, he's probably the next guy between Parsons and uh Miles Garrett, he had two on on 37 pass rush attempts. And then Bryce Huff, I thought, had the best game against him. He got two on 19, but there was a sack in there as well. And then week 13 last week, clean sheet against the Commandos. He's always been... He's always had this talent inside, and he's also the exact type of person that you want to build around. I love, love, love an Austin Jackson press conference because we get something informative about offensive line play every time. He's measured, he approaches the game like a 10-year pro, and he just gets it. He's smart as hell, he's tough, he's physical, he's violent, downright nasty. There are clips of him playing through the echo of the whistle and just burying people six feet from the edge. No, six feet under the turf. Pull up the commander's tape. You think the defense wanted any part of that Mike White-led offensive drive for nine straight runs into the end zone? No. The Dolphins broke their will, and it's because of people like Austin Jackson who play every single snap like it's the most important snap of their life, pushing you around and physically beating you up for 50 snaps. That's why he's getting second and third level pancakes in the fourth quarter of a game that went in by, 40, by 30 points. He's passing off games where he shoves the looper and knocks him to his butt. Like, Rob and Connor are like, all right, I guess I'm just chilling this right because the guy that was supposed to peel back across is on the floor chilling. Then he peels back wide and picks up the exterior looper. I think that's where you see how his fundamentals have really clicked in this offense. The way he transfers his weight, which, by the way, I've seen this guy every August for the last four years. He never looked better than he did this August. Looks slimmer in the face, just slimmer all around, a better physical composition. He can work inside to the right guard and initiate that type of force that sends somebody to the turf and then get back wide on those heels and slide the feet and get vertical depth. That is tough 
tough to do for a 310, 320 pound man. You see so many offensive linemen out over their skis. He used to be one of them, losing momentum to make those types of sudden movements. He used to be one of them, but Austin has captured the balance he needs to throw around his weight and capitalize on the very rare athletic traits that he features, which if you go back to the combine, 89th percentile in the 40-yard dash, 92nd percentile in the 20 split, 94th percentile in the 10 split, and you see that across the entire roster. 10 split, very important. It's a good measure of speed. Also, 97th percentile in broad jump, which is in the same category as the 10 split, the two best testing metrics that you can get in terms of how you come out of your stance and how you fire off the football. 88th percentile in the vertical jump, 82nd percentile in the composite size, height and weight combination, which is impressive as hell when you factor in all these 90th percent testing metrics at that size. And also 83rd in bench press, you know he's strong. He's playing the smartest football of his career. You see it on games with how he IDs blitzes, squeezes that B gap first before getting back wide because inside out is the way you want to protect things. His ability to attach, engage, detach, and climb on doubles has been Chef's kiss, choice. There were like five reps against Bryce Huff where I thought he didn't look super comfortable. But other than that, it's been set and forget at right tackle. I don't even think about the position during games now because I know we're straight there. We're good to go. Let's go ahead and hear from head coach Mike McDaniel on what Austin Jackson's development and sticking at the right tackle position has meant for him in this offense. All I took from my interaction with him is a very ambitious, goal-oriented, driven Um, professional athlete. It's great to be picked in the first round as a 20-year-old. There's also a lot of burden with that. And so, you know, you look at the film, you match it with the person that you're meeting. Um, And I think it's important to treat every individual um, with full trust, because I'm tough enough if they break trust. You treat them with full trust and see, um, you know, give them the opportunity. Don't harbor uh, past things um, against people that have nothing to do with those things. And, and to me, there's like this, this guy is playing multiple positions um, and he started doing it before he legally could drink alcohol. Uh, it's a ton of weight. And you have a lot of people talking, you know, it's, um, you know, heavy, heavy as the crown, as they say. And, you just have a lot of people interjecting on what you are. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but were you a finished product at 20 years old? Meeting him, understanding where his motivation was, and the yearning to have just to be coached. Um, you know, I, who am I to put a ceiling on that or to say he is this, that, or the other? So. You keep an open mind and let people, um, you know, take it upon themselves to, to dictate what the narrative is or what, what they can be. And, you know, I think, I think this year in particular, like he, he, had, a, he had a strong offseason. We felt good about him um, in 2022. You have an injury right when you're feeling like, hey, um, I can prove a lot of these people wrong. Then you just got to sit and listen more. Um, and what you're seeing now is, I mean, it, it is the reason why you do it, to see those type of journeys. It's much, much, much like, you know, the ones 
we talk about with two all the time. There's there's plenty of the journeys like that, um, and it's really awesome to see someone someone take the reins of deciding who they are and not listening to other people um, along the way. You know that's and I think it's very very hard to do. It, it's awesome for me to say. I believe in you, Austin. But when, when he, you know, this is just my opinion, when he really believed it was probably after the second week of phase two in 2022. Teron Armstead, a guy that has done it at the highest level for um, literally half of his life, saying, no, dude, you, you, you can be different. That, that's, that's what you're feeling amongst the team is there's a bunch of shared journeys. Um, a lot of people feel a part of that. A lot of people are proud of that. Um, he's probably got the least exuberance of everybody today about it because that's not how he got it. He's thinking about Wednesday, technique, fundamentals, assignments, um, Tennessee Titans. And by the way, you can send Austin Jackson and the rest of your Miami Dolphins to the Pro Bowl right now. Online balloting is available now on Miami Dolphins and NFL.com. And then starting Monday, December 11th, you can cast votes via social media. Just tweet the first and last name of the player, use the player's handle, or create a hashtag with the player's first and last name, and the post must include hashtag Pro Bowl vote. Congrats, Austin. I'm super proud of that guy. I have a pretty good relationship with him and uh, really like talking football and life with him. He also has told me several times that Martin Stadium was the toughest to play in the former Pac-12 for a road team. It's gone now, though. Uh, Before we get to my guest today, I was kicking this idea around for a Thursday topic, and I think now is the time to do it as we get into extension season, right? With Austin Jackson getting the contract extension because you've been told a million times by the same folks that told you this was the same team from last year, 10 wins ceiling, maybe maybe one and done in the playoffs. They also told you the Dolphins have to get it done this year because it's Super Bowl or bust. The window is now. They can't possibly be a competitive team next year, right? Wrong. 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 It never made sense. Never mind the June 1 options you have at, like, left tackle, defensive end, cornerback, you know, 72, 91, 25. Never mind that you can save upwards of $15 million at the quarterback position for next season when you give Tua his extension that is inevitable at this point to me. Never mind that you can structure things, move money around that allows you to take on what looks like a lot of cash commitments next year, which is a good problem to have, right? Too many mouths to feed to hopefully reset your draft success to kind of push those numbers into the future when you're paying more young productive rookies as you have draft success so that's going to be a critical part of this you know next stage of this build so going into this season I would have told you you're crazy to let Christian Wilkins leave because he's the top priority and I I still kind of feel that way and it sucks that the original deal couldn't get done because of a few million apart negotiations right reportedly that's what we heard but back to but to Christian's credit like he's played to that level so he he's earned it he's the only one that I look at as a potential fly in the ointment in terms of getting the band back together because you've now locked down your right tackle at well below market value. His tape is top five right tackle, no question. And and your fifth highest paid right tackle in the NFL is Braden Smith from Indianapolis, who's getting 17.5 APY. It's literally five and a half million less per year. 
that's a that's a starter. That's a starting guard. Uh, to be fair, when you drop down the 10, it goes to 11.5. So he's right in that range. Like 11 was the overall APY. But I promise you, had this guy hit the market with this tape playing out for the rest of the year, you're looking at a lot closer to 17, 18, 19 million per year. But good on Austin's representation to recognize what this system does for his game and his skill set because it's better to play you know, where you're going to be productive and you're going to be a free agent again at age 28. If his tape is this way for the next three years, go ahead and double that APY in 2026. So to me, the next priority is right next to him, both Connor Williams and Robert Hunt. As much as I love Austin, the truth is we actually have four offensive tackles in the top 30 of the pass block efficiency score, which I think is really, really translates to effective pass blocking. Keon Smith and Teron Armstead are both just a smidge below 100, which is impressive as hell for Teron because he's, you know, 179 pass block snaps, doesn't qualify for the rankings. That's a lot of snaps to be almost perfect in pass pro. And that's been the last couple of weeks where he's been a little bit shaky, right? And then Keon at 100 with less than 30 snaps. Lamb is 32nd among all tackles. But again, we've seen what difference it can be made when you don't have Connor Williams compared to not having those tackles, right? So he is my top priority. This is just me, not the team talking, me. Then Robert Hunt, and I have, an, I have this approach because I'd rather pay for offense in 2023, especially in this offense with this quarterback and this team. Like the Chiefs scaled back their cost at wide receiver and built up the offensive line. And look at their offense right now. It's been good, but it's not great anymore. For us, we know this quarterback can mitigate some of the offensive line stuff, and we have the stud receivers already in place. So I think you can go cheaper there, which is why I think you could make a case that Keon Smith and Liam Eichenberg are your left tackle, left guard combination for next season. But I have to have Connor Williams. And Rob Hunt is just such a damn good fit for what we do. And when you pair him and Austin together and actually factor in Connor from center to right tackle, there's not a more devastating run blocking right side of the offensive line in the National Football League. I love Isaiah Wynn, but he's ended two-fourths of his season, two out of four seasons in his career on IR. Could be three out of five if he goes this year. So that's got to be cheap, too. There are some other names, River Craycraft, Savon Ahmed, but that's not going to break the bank, right? And then on defense, again, Christian, the big one. I'm just not quite sure yet there. The way I look at it, letting him walk or a tag and trade to get, you know, a first, all of the Niners via, you know, DeForest Buckner, you could take care of pretty much everyone else if you just do this. Of course, it's a big piece to lop off, but it is kind of the solution that would make the most sense, I think. But he's also everything you want in a player, so it's so difficult. I don't want to lose him at all, but just understand the business side of what it could mean for the rest of the football team if you have to. And then to further break your guys' hearts, because I'm already doing that right now with Christian Wilkins, I think there's one very obvious he's going to walk that could keep you flexible in your cap, and that's Mr. Wang. Look, I only say this because I think someone is going to make Hugh, <laughs> Hugh Wang very, very well compensated next year. And since you're paying Chubb, and since I think Jalen Phillips is going to be become the highest paid defender in NFL history when he comes up for a contract because that's what the top edge will do on the market, right? It's probably not good asset allocation to have three players paid that well at that position. We'll see, but those are the two that I kind of look at and say they might be able to go get their bag somewhere else, and that's how it works. Like Sometimes you have to say goodbye to superstar talent like that, and Van Ginkle's playing himself into a big contract, so we'll see. Uh, that's not a given. Uh, that's that's a given, but not so much on Wilkins in terms of you know, him and Van Ginkle. I'd also get Deshaun Elliott back. He's a big priority to me because it's a little bit cheaper for a safety, and he's been so critical in terms of how he pairs with Javon Holland. And then you're kind of done. Like, there's some cheaper targets. Kendall Lamb I'd look at, Braxton Berrios, Nick Needham. I think you can certainly make market value offers and get those guys back. But to conclude this, 
I think in terms of gen- generalities, gen- is that a word? Uh, I-, I think this is the off-season to restock your draft capital. You need to start getting back to finding three or four hits every April like we did from 2016 through 2021, sans 2017. I love the aggressive approach, like with Tyreek and Chubb and you know all these guys they traded for, Ramsey, but the only way you can maintain this star talent is to start hitting on depth picks. Of course, the first rounder next year probably needs to be a key starter early on for the way this is going to work out, but if you sit out a free agency and then you swap Wilkins for a one and Van Ginkle walks and gets 12 million APY somewhere else, you probably get a fourth round comp pick back. Now, all of a sudden, you've retained pretty much the same roster, Sands, Van Ginkle, and Sands, uh, Christian Wilkins, which that opens a huge hole at defensive tackle. I'm very well aware of that. But now you've got two ones, a two, a four, a five, two sixes, and a seven. It's a good start to getting back to good, cheap, young talent to round out the superstar, high, top market value players you do have, like a Tyreek Hill, like a Jalen Ramsey, and on and on and on. So that's kind of how I view the offseason. Let's go ahead and take a quick break right here because we have more important things to talk about, like football this season. But I thought it was critical or paramount to get that conversation started here as we get you know close now closer to the offseason let's go ahead and get back to in-season mode though and welcome in my guest next to ron davenport from es with at&t in-car wi-fi elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable wi-fi hotspot connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle making it ideal for camping and road trips don't miss out on the fun embark on your next adventure today visit att.com slash in-car wi-fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. My guest today is ESPN NFL Nation reporter covering this week's opponent, the Tennessee Titans, Teron Davenport. Teron, welcome in, my friend. Hey, I appreciate you having me, Travis. It's definitely a long time coming. Yeah, it is. We, we communicated over the summer about a, a potential David Long episode. Didn't happen, but I've been looking forward to this week to getting you back on for that very reason. And I won't start the linebacker position because I always start with these podcasts at the QB position. And, yeah. you know, watching Will Levis's tape for me was a lot like, you know, was a, a lot like most highly drafted rookies. Some serious flashes of upside, but also the difficulty of getting acclimated to the NFL game speed. But what say you? Like, you've been around this guy. What's the thought of Levis? from the organization, from the fan base, from your own eyes. What's the thought about him six games into it now? Yeah, I think there's a lot of confidence in his ability. Uh, A lot of us have seen the way he pushes the ball down the field. His natural arm strength is something that has jumped out tremendously. There are some things that he has to work on as far as not trying to be overconfident with where he puts the football. He understands he has supreme arm strength, so sometimes he'll fit into spots where it's like, yeah, you might not want to do that, but for the most part, from a leadership perspective, the operation side of things, he's been golden uh, on that. That operation is something he wanted to improve upon, getting in and out of the huddle a little bit quicker to get to the line of scrimmage, survey everything. Hey, so on 51 is the mic, you know, and, and sliding, the, uh, changing the, the protection and all that stuff. So uh, overall, it's definitely been a, a positive from him. And, and again, there's some things to improve, but six games in, I'm pretty sure that he's the quarterback of the future. 
that's how I feel too, watching him. I can't stress enough for fans or people that are interested in getting to know more about the game, just how hard it is for a rookie to make that jump and all the additional things on your plate as a quarterback, mic points and slide protections, all that stuff. It is, it is a lot. And of course, it's always helpful to have a big time back alongside your quarterback when he's growing up into the league. And for the better part of a decade, this offense has funneled through one of the greatest running backs in the history of the league. But I noticed that the yards per carry are the same, but the volume is down this year for Derek in terms of the last couple of years of the yards per carry is similar, but the volume is down from like 25 rushes a game to like 16 per game. I'm curious how you've seen this offense evolve with Henry's usage, but also has it been impacted by the quarterback switch from Tannehill to Will Levis? Just kind of tell us about the Titans running game and where it's where it's been and where it's gone to like today. Yeah, so before the quarterback switch, there was a little variance there as far as away from that 25 to 30 carry game that Henry would consistently get. And that's because Tajay Spears is a guy that they drafted in the third round. And I don't call him a running back. I just call him a weapon. You know, they'll use him actually on that cheap motion, a lot like what the Dolphins do with Tyree Hill. And obviously different results, but still they use him in that way. His touches have kind of cut into Henry's a bit, but then you mentioned that the, the shift, right. The, the, uh, from, Tannehill to Levis. And there's one thing I saw. So in six of Levis's starts, he has attempted 39 passes or more. Wow. It's at least twice. <laughs> it might be three times. Yeah. I think it's twice. Now I went back and looked at Tannehill's game logs dating back to 2021. From 2021 until week six of this year, Tannehill attempted three, uh, 39 <laughs> or more passes three times. So there is a subtle difference there, a shift. Uh, that's something I'm going to ask the OC about next week. I want to see what happens in this game uh, to get just a better picture uh, before I ask him about that. But we've seen it. So I think that's a big thing as far as how the offense has changed. And, you know, they get away from the run, whereas it used to be like under Arthur Smith, especially like they would just keep running the ball, running the ball and trusting that, okay, yeah, it may be one yard here, two yards there, but guess what? It's going to get blocked up, right? He's going to hit that hole. He has speed like a literal deer, so he's going to be able to pull away from everybody. And then that that three carries for, for seven yards will turn into four carries for 80, you know, and that's how it works. And, I've always compared Derrick Henry to, I don't know if you played Mario Kart when you were younger, but like Bowser, yeah. the character, took a while yeah. to get up to full speed. But once he did, you weren't going to catch him. That was Derrick Henry for so many years there and probably still <laughs> is. I'm glad you mentioned Tajay Spears because I had three backs this draft that I was absolutely in love with. Jameer Gibbs, Devon Achan, and Tajay Spears. And so I'm glad to see he's having success. Not a surprise to me at all that he is. Um, but there is another position on this team that has gone a complete overhaul on the offensive line over the last couple of years. And I go back to the 2021 game when the Titans took care of the Dolphins in, in pretty handily fashion. And that offensive line was full of star talent, but there's been changes yeah. the last couple of years. Um, what about the changes we've seen in season here? Like the change from Dillard to Duncan at left tackle. How have you seen that group progress to where they are right now? Well, you know, the thing is both Dillard and uh, Andre Dillard and Jalen Duncan, they were both pretty solid uh, run blocking, but the pass pro is, it's been an issue for Dillard. It was mainly, he was catching instead of bringing a punch to the defensive lineman and, and it just wasn't working. And it's, I don't know, man, like some guys, they just don't seem to have that inner killer in them. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to question his character, his toughness, but it doesn't seem like that's there. At least with Duncan, you know, you're seeing some things. He and Skaronsky, the 11th uh, uh, pick overall, 
those two on the left side run blocking wise. I posted a clip on uh, Twitter of those two together and they were killing it. But pass pro has been a little bit of an issue. Uh, uh, Epucom got Ebenezer Epucom as well as Quiddy Pay last week. They gave him all types of fits with speed off the edge and just a cold bull rush. And that's something that has to be fixed. But, um, you know, Aaron Brewer is a uh, Christian Wilkins. He, he probably will, you know, be able to do some things this week just because of his brute strength. Uh, Brewer is not the biggest center. They like to get him on the move and run blocking and things like that. But Dropping the anchor and taking on that bull rush, a lot of times, like I wouldn't be surprised if you see Wilkins uh, lined up right over top of him. Like they're going to probably cover up the center. You see that a lot. And then uh, you, you look at the the right guard, uh, Daniel Brunskill. It's been solid for them. He's dealt with an ankle, so it's been up and down. Um, Dylan Radens was uh, a second round pick a couple years ago, and he's at right tackle now. And it's just kind of like by default. Uh, Chris Hubbard had the job. They signed him during the. Uh, just before camp, and he came in and kind of took over the job there. But he has a shoulder injury, and he, he's out for the year. So now it's Dylan Radens, and you know he's had some solid games. But the, the main thing with them uh, penalties, too many false starts. You know um, they'll get a legal man downfield, like an eligible receiver, but it's a lot of false starts with, with those guys. It speaks to how tough it is to to build an offensive line, especially when you have to kind of restart the Titans have with all those, you know, older guys that moved on to either retirement or different teams and free agency. It's so tough to, I mean, there's, there's not 32 good offensive lines. There's probably not 15 good offensive lines in the NFL with how just, you know, that's probably one of the positions that has the least amount of overall talent in the league. So it's tough to get that continuity built up and we've enjoyed it down here, even though we've had multiple line uh, combinations this year, but it seems like having that continuity of the same system back to back years and those guys being together has made a big difference for Miami. So yeah. I, I, I think I see it kind of coming together there for the Titans, but you, like you mentioned, it's, it's a new grouping this year, man. So it's kind of tough to get things all on the same page there on the other side of the football. This is a team that has always been good at defense under Mike Vrabel, but I'm curious to get your take here on the Kevin Byard trade or at the deadline, because it seems to me like that was kind of the glue piece in the back end. How have things changed without their longtime star there on the back end? Yeah, well, if you watch uh, the first drive by the Colts last week, it's a good example. Um, there was a miscommunication. Uh, Kayvon Wallace had a tackle, and then he got flagged for personal foul for, for taunting. They took him out, and then Elijah Molden came in. Now, this is his first transition to safety. Um, he played at some at Washington and he did at, at, at times, but a consistent transition. He's a safety now, not a cornerback. He's a safety. So um, he came in and there was a miscommunication between he and the, and the corner. I think it was Christian Fulton and Alec Pierce just got open on the post 36 yard touchdown. I don't think that happens with Kevin Byron. It's not likely to. So you're losing that. You're losing a, a bit of leadership. Um, He's a playmaker too. Byard is still a playmaker. So it was a deal that they they had to make though, as far as uh, from their perspective, getting additional draft picks, uh, the fifth and sixth round pick, and it allows them to save about six million in, in salary cap space. I don't know that that Byard would have been back. Period. Like I think he might have been one of those post June first releases or something along those lines. So that's really what has happened. But uh, the secondary, they definitely they miss him absolutely. Yeah, it's been, I mean, to your point, though, it's kind of a win-win trade because the Eagles get a good player. And like you said, the Titans get draft capital for a player 
like you mentioned, mm-hmm. probably isn't coming back anyways. And we have a guy here, Javon Holland, who to oh. me was like the biggest shift in how this Best. defense communicates. He's Best. a phenomenal player, and you just don't see bust in this defense. I think that he's a big part of that, like Bayard was there in Tennessee yeah. for so many years. My uh, penultimate question here goes back to the front of the defensive line and a guy who's not going to be in there. I'm just curious how you think this defense looks without Jeffrey Simmons because, Teron, this is one of the best players at any position in the National Football League. He's so much fun to watch. He wrecks offensive lines every single week. How do they adjust to not having him out there? Yeah, the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee for for the Titans, and he's a guy. He he he's good in the community, but he's not nice to the interior <laughs> offensive line. I tell you that much. Like I've seen him like fold guys backwards. It's like, man, he's a playmaker. You know, he's someone he gets into the backfield. He, uh, you know, on running plays, you know, there's a, if you go back and watch the Jaguars game, he got in the backfield and he just popped Travis Etienne. And I'm talking about one of those hits where he, it was, it's comical uh, going back and watching that. Um, not having him is going to hurt them a lot. You know, obviously the pass rush, and I said the run defense, but he's also someone that consistently gets his hands up, matches hands with the quarterback. They practice that so much, uh, you know, throughout the week and match hands, get the tip pass and, it's supposed to lead to interceptions, but it hasn't always done that. And then he'll also he'll get you the strip sacks too. So he's just a phenomenal player. He's the heartbeat of the defense. But, you know, there are some other good players. Like the Nico Autry, he leads the team in sacks. He actually became only the second Titans, Titans-only player. When I'm talking about, you know, the Oilers, because the guy behind me did it a couple of times. But Titans-wise, he's the only, uh, the second one to have eight or more sacks in, in three seasons. And he is just one of those players that it, there's no flash there's no he just consistently just comes and comes and comes and comes and uh he's somebody you know, the line on inside and outside you got him tier tart is really good against the run you'll see him um you know he actually he has a because uh, christian wilkins uses a, a swim move a lot too and he has a swim move just like that where they get in that backfield quickly and they tackle the running back so those are the main ones you know arden key and harold landry they're bringing pressure from time to time, but not having Simmons, it, it hurts at all because he gets double teamed so much. Your Danico Autry scouting report reminds me so much of Zach Sealer, who you guys will see, <clears throat> excuse me, on Monday night in that game. And also, man, you mentioned like Jeffrey Simmons and Christian Wilkins, that 2019 defensive tackle class is outrageous. Quentin Williams in yeah. there as well. Ed Oliver, part of that class too. Like what a great class that was. Yeah. That was my, that, yeah how did I forget him? He's probably the best one of them all. Good stuff there. It's, it's a crazy class in 2019 yeah. for defensive tackles. My last question, I ask this to every guest I have every single week. The Titans will win this game if, and then you get to fill in the blank. Yeah, I mean, the Titans will win this game if uh, <laughs> Jesus is with them. I'll say that. <laughs> no, I mean, look, they could win the game if they if they run the football uh, successfully and, and consistently and work some play action off of that. That's really the main thing, um, they'll have to get a turnover as well. So there's a lot that this is a game. If they were to win, you know, it's going to have to be in the margins, you know, the field position, the turnovers and those things, and maybe work a big play action pass off of that. So that would be the way, but you know, I'm just smiling and excited because I can't wait to see David Long Jr. He's one of my favorite players and I love watching him play and he plays literally like he is on fire. We never get tired of having guests in the podcast who had the first reaction you did when I asked you the Dol- the Dolphins or the Titans will win this game if because we've had it a lot this year. So I appreciate that. It brings some brevity to the show and we always enjoy it. So Teron Davenport, Titans ESPN, ESPN Radio at T Davenport underscore NFL. 
Tehran, you're the man. I appreciate our time today. and We'll see you on Monday night. I appreciate you, man. See you Monday. And off he goes. Our last break right here. We'll come back on the other side and hear from head coach Mike McDaniel and make the week 14 picks. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required little in-show evaluation of the show itself. I think those first two segments were pretty freaking awesome. Wouldn't you agree? Let's go ahead and keep this thing rolling here. I have two sound bites from Coach McDaniel. We're going back to Austin Jackson, but I took it out of the Austin Jackson segment because I think it relates more to the football team. And it was a question that I intended to ask Mike, and kind of the, the framing behind my question was, how would you measure the residual effects of the rest of the roster seeing a player like Austin Jackson and all the turmoil he's gone through to come out on the other side, you know, one of the top paid tackles in the National Football League and an investment into his future here with the Miami Dolphins. What are the residuals of that impact? And so that wasn't the question that got asked to coach, but he got there on a question that was posed in the sense of, do you view this as a checks uh, off season checklist that you've hit one of your check marks on by getting Austin Jackson done? Here's coach talking about that and the residual impact of a player like Austin going through the turmoil and coming out on the other side like Andy Dufresne. You're defining your team real time by those type of investments. And if you want, if you want people to come to work every day and, um, and decide their own level of happiness because of their accountability to themselves and their teammates – and a complete devotion um, to uh, what the responsibility is, um, then uh, you should reward that. And you know, there's you, you wish there wasn't a salary cap, um, and there's a lot of there there's a lot of guys in the locker room. That's that's what's really cool about what's going on. There's a lot of guys that have. It's hard to be an NFL player and not have in the back of your mind. You know, like like us all, like you know, I I need to um, earn a living uh, and at my dream. But with the way business works and how important these investments are, and the way negotiations go, um, they don't all happen at once. And I don't think um, I haven't felt a single person feel anything but just complete, um, I don't know, satisfaction, pride, uh, just pumped up that, because they've seen it every day. Like this is, this is a guy that fully commits that decided on his own to be all in, to believe in, you know, everything we're doing here. And then to believe in Butch and Lem and Mike judge. And, um, and it's cool when people are teammates the coaches give him the right information, gives him the tools, and he takes those tools um, and helps him fulfill his dream. So there you have the head football coach of your Miami Dolphins. Let's go ahead and wrap up the Thursday show as we do every single week here on Drive Time with 
the game picks. A fruitful week for your boy last week. I did miss the Monday night football game, but we'll take that one in stride because it was helpful and beneficial to your Miami Dolphins. My other loss was Pittsburgh and Arizona. Like, come on now. Who saw that coming? I know Pittsburgh's terrible, but Cardinals have been much ter- much more terrible this year as we go. So 11-2 and two last week. That brings us to 140-57. and 57. Nailed the Packers upset for the second straight week as six-plus point dogs. It brings us to a 70.8% winning percentage. Can we get to the all-time undefeated 72 mark? That's the goal. Actually, 70 really was the goal. I digress. Let's go ahead and pick these games. And it starts tonight with a game that I have no idea who the hell to pick because I think we're going to see a game that winds up about Eight to seven, maybe seven to six, something like that. I am taking the Patriots if Mac Jones starts, but I I don't think he is. I I think they've actually announced Zappy. I don't know why, (laughs) but they have. Uh, So if it's Zappy, I'm taking the Pittsburgh Steelers and Mitchell Trubisky, who I think get an upgraded quarterback over their injured starter and Kenny Pickett. Give me Houston over the Jets. Duh. Give me the Ravens over the Rams, although that's what I'm hoping I lose this week. And they're going out to the east, right? It's it's in Baltimore. Yeah, I don't like the Ravens or the Rams' chances to make that trek, especially facing that defense with that offensive line. I think it's supposed to be like rainy and miserable in Baltimore this weekend too. So give me the Ravens to maintain their position with the Miami Dolphins. Take the Saints over the Panthers. I will not pick the Panthers the rest of the year. Give me the Bengals over the Colts, and this is like one of the most important games of the year in terms of who might get those last positions uh, for the wild card round and I think it's very important for Dolphins fans to track because of the potential of us seeing one of those teams I do think Miami gets the one seed but if you get the two seed I hope that seventh seed is Indy or Cincy or Cleveland or Pittsburgh and so in this game I'm taking the Bengals because I have been very hard on Jake Browning back to his UW days Uh, he was one of those guys that ran away from the line of scrimmage when pressure arrived and that never ever works see Zach Wilson with the Jets but he played really well against the Jaguars and Zach Taylor had a great game plan for his quarterback in that game and because the Colts are coming off a thrilling overtime victory the Bengals are too I'm going to take the Bengals to win this one. Both teams are on Saturday football next week. They both need wins to kind of put themselves in position to strike for that seven seed. I'll take the Bengals uh, because I like their their opportunistic defense against Gardner Minshew, who can be a little bit reckless at times. Go Cougs. Uh, Let me go ahead and get the Bucks over the Falcons. Like, who cares? Someone's going to win that division. It's going to be those two teams or the Saints. They're going to get bounced by the Cowboys in the first round by a billion points. But give me the Bucks to win this one just because they lost last week and the Falcons won last week. So swap those around. Cleveland over Jacksonville. I will not pick C.J. Beathard, even though it might be Joe Flacco. I'm still not picking C.J. Beathard. Give me the Bears over the Lions at Soldier Field. Goff and that Lions offense, Goff has never traveled well, especially in inclement weather. I think they have kind of hit their peak this year. And I think the Bears could win some games here late with Justin Fields getting on track uh, and they play in some inclement weather for a bad Lions road team. Give me the Niners big over the Seahawks. Give me the uh, uh, Raiders over the Vikings. I almost said Vikings over the Raiders, but I like the, Vi- the Raiders to win an ugly, ugly football game. They're just better at winning those games. And the Josh Dobbs experience, it's gone back to where it was before the couple of games he had this year, right? Chargers over the Broncos. We'll flip that pick when the game goes back to Denver because it's in SoFi. Give me the home team. I'm taking the Bills over the Chiefs, the hardest pick of the week to me. I think Buffalo is going to get really hot. I know you guys don't want to hear this, but I think they could potentially rattle off their next four wins and come into the game against us looking for a potential division championship.
shit, but luckily we'll have taken care of business by then. But give me Buffalo to give us a lot of breathing room over the Chiefs. It gives us a game of error over the Chiefs the rest of the way if Buffalo can steal this victory. And KC plays nobody else the rest of the way, so root for Buffalo in this one. Give me Philly over Dallas. I have to see the, the Cowboys beat Philly before I pick them to win that, kind of like us in Buffalo. Give me the Packers over the Giants because, duh, and you already heard Dolphins over Titans on Monday Night Football. That's my time. Let's get out of here because long podcast tomorrow. Going to have a fun uh, chat with some of the guys about the My Cause, My Cleats initiative this weekend. Very excited to get to know those guys a little bit more and what's important to them and bring it to you here on the podcast. Plus the great, the great, I cannot wait for the great, Lewis Riddick on the podcast. He joins me on Friday to break down all things Miami Dolphins ahead of his call on Monday Night Football of Dolphins and Titans. And uh, no Kyle Krabs this week. We'll be back next week with us to do a, a more general scouting look at this Dolphins team in the NFL draft. But in the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe, rate, review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and give us some love there. Also, follow me on social at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out my guys in the Fish Tank podcast, Seth and Juice. We do the pregame show and postgame show together as well. You can find that on the iHeart app on 106.5 FM and 9.40 AM as well down here in South Florida. Also, the YouTube channel, Media Availabilities, Dolphins Today. I have a Jalen Ramsey YouTube film breakdown you're not going to want to miss. Check that out when it comes out. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, daddy. Daddy.